Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back. Be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're so thankful for the number of visitors that we have today. As always, we have any number of folks with us, and we want you to know that we consider you an honored guest. might be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We need your help, and what we want to do is try to make known New Testament Christianity in this community, and you could be a great asset in helping us do that. I appreciate Jordan reading our scripture a moment ago. I said to Jordan just before services began that he looks so sharp today, maybe he ought to think about preaching. I know he could do it. But we're glad you're here. We're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 16. Specifically, we want to look at verses 21 through 26. In this context, we have a statement made by Jesus about his impending death on Calvary. And the Apostle Peter speaks up, not unlike his ways. Peter often spoke before he thought. And sometimes Peter had difficulty getting on the same page with Jesus. It might be the case that sometimes we have difficulty getting on the same page with the work of the Lord. And what the Lord really wanted from Peter was support. Peter needed to learn a lot, and Peter had the opportunity, along with the other disciples, to spend about three years with Jesus, and they had the privilege of sitting at his feet and learning some great messages. They also had the opportunity to see firsthand the many, many miracles that Jesus performed. On this occasion, Peter is not on the same page with Jesus. And he voices that. And thus the Lord has something to say about that. Sometimes it's good for us to sit back and to just learn. You know, Solomon said many, many years ago, there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Sometimes we need to know when to be silent and to just learn. And that's what Peter needed to do. I want us to think for a minute or two about getting behind the work of the Lord. And really in this context, you see that that's what Peter needed to do. Get behind the Lord and His work. And so with that in mind, I want to begin by talking about the preview of the cross. And really it's not just a preview, but there is an overview of the cross. Listen, if you would, to what Matthew records about this occasion. In verse 21, he said, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Note, if you would, that word must. The absolute of the cross. Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem. This was the will of Almighty God. We talk about the plan of God in relationship 
to redemption. John said in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God had decreed that he would save the human family in Jesus Christ. That was his will. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he was following that will. He was in compliance, in harmony with the will of his Father. There are a lot of passages of Scripture that speak to the fact that God intended to redeem the human family through Jesus Christ. Paul said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, in Ephesians chapter 1. And then note, if you would, not only does Matthew afford us insight into the plan of God, but to the place where this would commence. Jesus had instructed his, his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Jesus would go to Jerusalem and be tried, wouldn't he? He would stand before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate would say on more than one occasion, I find no fault in this man, and yet the people wanted him crucified, didn't they? And so just outside the walls of Jerusalem, Jesus was lifted up between two thieves. Luke said when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. We might also just point out very quickly the people that are identified as having a part in the death of Jesus. The Lord would suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, from the Jewish people. In chapter 17, Jesus would say to the disciples while in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed by men. There were a number of people that had a part in the death of Jesus. And then note, if you would, the pain. Matthew tells us that he would suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. Physically, Jesus would suffer many, many things. You can go back and read the gospel narratives. And you can see what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about the trial scene and the taunting, the insults, the slapping, the mockery. The Bible says they spat in his face. Jesus suffered immensely. Peter said Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we're healed. And so Jesus Christ suffered immensely, culminating in death. 
As Luke said, when they came to the place called Calvary, they crucified him. They drove nails in his hands and feet. A spear was thrust into his side. And the Bible says that water and blood came forth. Jesus died for the sins of the human family. And then there is the power that is spoken of in verse 21. Not only would he be killed, but Matthew said he would be raised again the third day. His power over the cross. Jesus was triumphant over death. Back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when God announced the promised seed, he said that his heel would be bruised. The serpent's head would be bruised. The serpent, the devil, would receive a death blow by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus, of course, would have his heel bruised. His death, momentary, three days. And thus he came forth from the grave victorious. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the protest over the cross. And in, in verse 22, we have an objection. And that objection was really placed at the feet of Peter. And so, note if you would the antagonism of the cross. Here's what Matthew said. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Is that not amazing to you? That the apostle Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, he had, he had had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to see the great miracles that he performed, and now he's telling the Lord, look, this isn't going to happen to you. I think, first of all, Peter forgot about the intent of the law. Peter, as a Jew, he knew what the law said, didn't he? The law pointed out that the purpose behind the giving of the law, and Paul sums this up in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, he asked the question, Wherefore then serveth the law? He said it was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law was to point people in the direction of Christ. The aim of the law, pointing people in the direction of the coming of the Son of God. Did Peter know that? Yes, he did. I think he forgot it. You go back to the old law and you can see that the law identified very graphically a picture of the Messiah. And not just a picture of the Messiah, but the purpose behind the coming of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus, of course, having been raised from the dead, and prior to ascending to heaven said to the disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written of me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. You see, you can go back to the old law, and you can look at the first five books of the Old Testament. They pointed to the coming of the Son of God. You can look at the prophets. They too pointed to the coming of the Son of God. And then the Psalms. 
over and over and over again, the inspired writers pointed to the coming of the Son of God. Well, why did Jesus come? Why did man need a Savior? Because of sin. Ezekiel said, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The Bible points out that sin is a universal problem. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus came in compliance with the will of Almighty God. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 describes the suffering servant. He said there's no beauty that we should desire him. There's nothing striking about the appearance of Jesus, nothing that would have made him stand out head and shoulders above other people. But he was the suffering servant, the messianic king. And Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So Jesus would pay the price for sin for all of us. Peter, first of all, forgot about the intent of the law. And then I think, secondly, he forgot about the identity of the Lord. It ought to be striking to us that as Matthew records the events surrounding this circumstance, that previous to this, Jesus had just asked the question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You remember? He had come into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And the Bible says that they began to say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? And note the one who speaks up. Look at verse 16, Matthew chapter 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This wasn't just some ordinary man we're talking about. This wasn't a mere mortal. This was the Son of God. Peter needed to be reminded of the sonship of Jesus. That is, he was in the presence of the very Son of God. He had just said, you're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. The Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the very one whom the prophets had pointed to. Talked about the intent of the law. And then, I think he needed to remember something about the sovereignty of Jesus. Again, think about the presence before whom Peter stood. He was in the presence of the Son of God, the sovereign ruler of, of the world. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, that Jesus is the only potentate or sovereign one. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, put this in perspective for a minute. Here is Peter, and Jesus has just said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests, elders, and scribes be killed, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead the third day. And Peter stands up and says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall, this shall not happen to you. Can you imagine telling the Lord? 
You've got it all wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Here is Peter standing in the presence of the sovereign Son of God, and he's telling him, in effect, you don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I think he did know what he was talking about. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, knew exactly what his task was here upon this earth. In John 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My work is to do the will of him who sent me. In John 6, 38, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then I think about in John chapter 17, in the very shadow of the cross, Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. The Lord knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And so we think about the protest over the cross. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly in our study, and that is the pathway to the cross. And really it has to do with accepting the cross. And there are two things here that maybe we would do well to consider. First of all, Peter needed to be corrected about the cross. He didn't understand. Evidenced by what he said in verse 22. So I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Matthew says this, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense that is a stumbling block to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In effect, what the Lord's saying is, Peter, you don't have one idea what you're talking about. And that's not the first time that Peter is caught saying something before really thinking through what was said. And we talk about being corrected about the cross. A couple of things that Peter needed to learn about. He, need to, he needed to learn about the will of God, and number two, he needed to learn about the ways of God. Just because I don't necessarily understand God's ways doesn't mean that his ways are not true. You remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55? My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. He talked about the fact that God's ways are much higher than our ways. His thoughts much higher than our thoughts. I think about the words of Paul in Romans chapter 11 when he said, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past tracing out or past finding out. Look, I may not understand some of the things that God commands me to do. I may not necessarily understand everything behind a particular command or act recorded in Scripture, but I know this. My job is not to question. My job is to simply do what God has said. What Peter is saying is, Lord, there has to be another way. No, there's not another way. 
Now you think about, by way of modern day application, how people today have the idea that, you know what, we can improve upon the plans of God, the will of God. We can improve upon the ways of God. No, you can't. There are a lot of people that need to learn that lesson. There are a lot of people that have tried to jazz up worship, for example. Make it more seeker-friendly. Accentuate entertainment, etc. Look, there are a lot of people that They'll tell you. Preaching is outdated, and yet Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believed. Did God know what he was talking about? I think he did. Again, we talk about the will and ways of God. As Isaiah said, as the heavens are high above, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So Peter needed, first of all, he needed to be corrected about the cross and then he needed to be connected to the cross. What do you mean Peter needed to be connected to the cross? I think what the Lord needed from Peter was support. Don't you? If you were going to the cross, had you been in the shoes of Jesus, what would you have wanted? you would have wanted support. Think about when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember who went to the garden with him, Peter, James, and John? What'd they do? They slept, didn't they? Rather than spending time supporting Jesus, rather than spending time in prayer, they slept. And the Hebrew writer said, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and he was heard and that he feared. Jesus, all alone. Peter needed to be supportive of what the Lord was about to encounter. And I think about the work of the church today and we talk about getting behind the work of the church, getting behind the Lord's work. You know what God needs from me? He needs my support, doesn't he? In the sense that I am a member of the body of Christ and I have the opportunity to be a part, a small part, in the ongoing work of the Lord here on earth. Whatever abilities or whatever talents I have, whatever abilities or talents you have, we ought to, we ought to try to use those to the glory of God. Think about how you can be a light in the midst of a darkened world. Think about how you can pray for the work, how you can encourage others to be followers of the work, how you can help lead other people to Christ. And so Peter needed to be supportive, and then number two, he needed to be submissive. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, not Peter only, but all the disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What the Lord was saying to Peter and the other disciples is, 
If you want to be a follower of me, you want to be a disciple of mine, then you have to lose yourself in my service, in my will, and in my ways. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20? When he said, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what, that's what the Lord is saying here. Peter and to the other disciples, you need to lose yourselves in service to me. You need to be submissive to me, and that would begin with self-denial. Crucifying self. And then taking up the cross and following him. You know, Peter would later lose his life for the cause of Christ. And I think Peter, I think he did so gladly because he came to understand and appreciate what the Lord had done on his behalf. I want to ask you a question today. When you look at, when you look at our text, really what Jesus is saying is, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer these things and be killed for you. Now, contextually, he's talking to his disciples. But really, he's talking to all of us. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, it was for us. It was for me, for you, for all people. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or think about Peter. I mentioned 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said that Christ bore our sins. And note the word our. Peter's saying he bore my sins in his body on the cross. That we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. They scourged the Lord. They beat him to a pulp. And he experienced all of that for each and every one of us. The application of the cross is universal. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 1 through 4, Christ died for us. Or what about the words of Romans chapter 5, verse 8? But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Don't ever forget, the Lord died for you. And because he went to the cross for you, doesn't it stand to reason that as a member of his body, you would get behind the work of the Lord? That you would be supportive of the work of the Lord? God's work isn't finished here on earth. There's still a lot to do. And you have the opportunity to have a small part in that work. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. I want to encourage you to repent of all of your sins, as Peter said on Pentecost Day, when he preached the first gospel sermon. And he said, repent in verse 38 of chapter 2. I want to encourage you to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the divine Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. I want to encourage you to be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, as Saul of Tarsus did 
in Acts 22, verse 16. I want to encourage you to be faithful. Because Jesus said, if you're faithful until death, God will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here today and you're not faithful to his cause, won't you come home? Could we pray with you and for you? You know, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And the assurance is God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?